Now, I suppose you have all sorts of rosary biz and the like. No, no. This is a ghost. Maybe you should go home and rest. I can't go home. Why? The carp. You know, I thought you'd see. My wife's mother is visiting, Father. And Tuesday night she's cooking as a carp. It's a tasty fish. I, I have nothing against it. But because it's supposedly filled with impurities, she buys it live. And for three days it's been swimming up and down in my bathtub. Up and down. And I hate it. I can't stand the sight of it. Moving its gills. Now you're standing very close to me, Father. Have you noticed? Yes. I haven't had a bath for three days. I can't go home until the carp is asleep. <laughs> because if I see it swimming, I'll kill it. Man's constant groping of things unknown Drawing from the endless reaches of time. J- Jason. Jason. Yeah. Jason. Synesthesia to me is uh, it's a true definition of the mixing of the senses. What makes synesthesia exciting? It takes us all the way from just the mingling of the senses, all the way to metaphors, or even transcending the senses, where you uh, are no longer constrained by the tyranny of individual sense impressions. Jason, what are you talking about? Synesthesia, a movie podcast featuring Jason Mikhailich and Jim Hickox, begins now. Pull the string. I mean, we can just talk about that fish that really is all that matters. Oh my god, that fish. <laughs> I have done a close watch of that scene. Yeah, I mean, I've watched that scene once a month for the last four, four years. Yeah. Even though the only version of it that I can find on YouTube is the wrong aspect ratio and it drives me bonkers. Oh, oh, that's not good. No. I should just buy a copy of the movie. Um, you should. It is, Or I can just send you a copy. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, but I mean, you know, I should either buy one or illegally download one and send $4 to Vladdy. Is he still alive? He must be, right? I think so. I also think he's pretty rich. Yeah, yeah. He still deserves... I don't know. I I, love... You're not wrong. You're not wrong. He deserves a nice I send him a, yeah, a nice letter. Um, I'm sure he'd prefer the money. Well, $4. Although, I don't know. He's pretty Catholic. Yeah. He might not prefer the money. That's true. Yeah, he might just... Be happy with you might just prefer that 
be happy that your soul has been saved because you've been told the truth. It's true. I wasn't. Do you know that he's Catholic, or are you surmising that from his work? Oh, I mean, no. He's clearly I, like raised Catholic, but is he like a devout Catholic? He wrote those books oh. to tell people the like oh, to was, warn people about the devil. That's yeah. amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, he legit believes all of it. Um, so let's get to the real Halloween hangover. A little segment we like to call Fatty Boom Blatty. Yeah. Deal with it, WP. Um, <laughs> this is another this is another Halloween edition of Synesthesia, but it's not October anymore. Not October. Um, oh no, now you're frozen. Really? You've been doing mm-hmm. Yeah, now it's this poor connection. Why did it wait until we were about to talk about the real thing? <laughs> It's the devil, Jim. It is the devil. You're back now. I don't know what happened there. Low flying airplane. Meteorite? Swamp gas? Yeah, it could be. At least... Nope, nope, not happening again. You're moving. That's a good sign. I see you. Yeah. All right, let's just muscle through. Okay. Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll talk over each other by accident. I mean, right. as opposed to recording constantly talking over each other intentionally, which is <laughs> how our yeah. podcast works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're back... To, I want to say we're back with Hell to the King, but we're not. It's not Hell to the King. Uh, it's not Hell to the King. It's, it's Hell the, to Peter Blatty. William Peter Blatty. We, hell to you, sir. It's it's uh, Hell to the Pope? Is that? No, that's not a very good joke. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> hell, hell to the King of Kings? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking about William Peter Blatty. <laughs> Uh, the writer of The Exorcist, but we're not talking about The Exorcist. We're talking about the only two movies he ever directed. Both direct uh, sequels to The Exorcist. That is our firm stance. Yeah. I mean, it's also just uh, The Ninth Configuration, also known at times as Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, mm-hmm. uh, and The Exorcist 3, originally known as Legion. Mm. Uh, they're both movies that aren't using their original titles. He's a uh, he's a sneakster that William Peter Platt. <laughs> um, yeah, we wanted to. We just we we're in a little Halloween hangover. We wanted to keep it going with some horror movies, but we we needed a break from our dear, <laughs> sweet, dear sweet Stephen. Stephen, I did I do something crazy? Your face just went crazy, like I did something crazy. I don't know what it sounded like on your end, but when you said "dear sweet Stephen," there was then the what sounded like a digitized diarrhea fart. <laughs> like, dear sweet Stephen. <laughs> I mind so it this, sounded like me talking. Recording's gonna be buck wild. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, we're, we're gonna take these movies one at a time, but let's sure. let's just establish why we watched the movies that we watched. Oh, okay, sure. Um, because it may not be we are living in a world where not everybody understands maybe why we would choose to do that. Because I would assume that to most normal people, saying you were going to watch The Exorcist three for any reason other than just like let's make fun of something mm. that's 
wacky and and dumb uh, would maybe be confusing. But Jim, why did Has... why did we rewatch The Exorcist three? Because it's top ten horror movies of all time, Jason. Yeah, and that's yeah, why. Because we love yeah. The Exorcist three. <laughs> I I would be hard pressed to come up with. A handful of movies I like more than The Exorcist Three. I has it gone through a cultural reevaluation, or was it poorly evaluated it... initially? I guess I don't know anything about the story of Exorcist Three beyond my personal experiences with it. Um, as usual, I'm gonna speak authoritatively about yeah. something I haven't actually researched. That's what and I want maybe from only you. half. No, yeah. um, but my understanding is that when it came out, it was just sort of dismissed because it was, you know, the second sequel sure. to a movie that had already had one dumb sequel and it you know just it didn't it it didn't deliver any of the things that like the first one did it wasn't really about an exorcism yeah i'm sure we'll talk about that later um just i think it more than being derided it was mostly just ignored yeah that makes sense Um, i know when i found it it was in like a dollar bin at walmart Mm -hmm. and i bought it because just pure whim of I don't know. Maybe this is something. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it, because it wasn't, you see it and you're like, ah, it's a dumb I sequel, never, but you're like, ah, Blatty wrote it and directed it. So like maybe, the, I didn't you know. even notice that. Oh, really? part. Oh, I just saw like, I think honestly, it just had like a reasonably good cover. Sure. Which if I remember correctly, the cover to the DVD is like George C. Scott at the top of the Georgetown stairs. Kind of which, enough. Like, never happens yeah. in. Not, yeah. Not part of this movie at all. Movie, but, it, it, but it was like, I don't know. I, I could be remembering it wrong. In my mind, it's painted. So mm, and it's okay. got like really good colors, like sure. purple and green. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'll take a chance on this thing. Yeah. And then I didn't watch it for years, but I just, I had it kicking around. Um, my understanding is that there are like people who know, mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and it does get talked about certainly more than it used to. I would say I have I don't three or four friends that. who also feel pretty emphatic about it. Yeah. Yeah, and now you're in you're in Austin yeah. and in the film world, yes. so I would expect you to maybe have more people who know it. I can't say that I know. I certainly couldn't name other people I know who like know it and are down yeah. with it. Yeah. Um. So I think it hasn't hit the kind of saturation. That's interesting. That something like it seems like the kind uh, of movie that is ready that that we would like to culturally reconsider, you know? It seems like oh, the kind of thing that yes. if you were hosting rep screenings and telling people to come out, if you were a programmer, uh, when they came out, they'd be like, oh, wow, this is amazing, and then everyone would talk about it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Um, it feels that way. Maybe that's been happening, and I've just missed it. I mean, I I'm haven't seen out it play of ever. Zeitgeist. Suffice to say, we'll we'll get to Exorcist 3. Sure, sure. The other movie we watched is, as I said earlier, the only other film that William Peter Blatty has written and directed. He's written many other films. Sure. uh, You know, among them, The Exorcist, but also a number of uh, comedies for Blake Edwards. Which is so funny. Which I find interesting and weirdly logical given characteristics of these other two movies yes um so but but you know william peter peter blatty is a he's an old screenwriting hand in hollywood Mm -hmm. successful novelist uh producer 
and he finally decided he wanted to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And what he made was an adaptation of his novel, Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, that eventually was retitled to, in most markets, was retitled to the ninth configuration. Yeah. Which is a weird... What? It's a weird marketing decision. Because, <laughs> Jason... Yes. If, if someone told you about a movie called Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, how many times would you hear about that before you went out and found it? I would be probably trying to watch it before they finished their sentence. Yeah, same. But you hear about the ninth configuration, and you're like, uh, it's... It's probably like a Seventh Seal knockoff, you know, trying to be smart. (laughs) You're like, do Um, I want to watch this? I have no idea. I don't know what I would be watching. Uh, So yeah, the ninth configuration, it, 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 I guess it gives it in somebody's mind, maybe more gravitas or maybe more points to the idea of it being some sort of psychologically serious, not quite horror film, but horror adjacent film. Yeah. The Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane has a obvious childish sure. quality to it, and like a silliness to it. Yeah. Um, obviously, ten times the better title. Yeah. Though. I mean, Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, to sort of loop back to what you said, it sounds like the darker version of a Blake Edward. Yes. Which is what it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what, Jim, what is the ninth configuration the movie not the what the ninth configuration is yeah, who knows? i'm still not sure there's a line in the middle of the film that claims that it's the it's like the, the way molecules of, had to line up in order to create it was life. the number right? the number of configurations of proteins uh, on earth sure. that were necessary to go like the number of iterations that had to go through before yeah. life clicked and evolved sure and i don't I didn't look it up at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that concept comes from. I don't know if it's from some like Catholic theory sure. or like Jesuit thing. Um, but it, we, yeah, I have no idea what the title actually refers to, other than what that. Yeah. But what is the film like? <laughs> so this movie, Jason, is. I mean, in in many ways, it's it is a sort of Blake Edwardsy comedy of errors, but without the wackadoo tone. Um, in the way that, you know, the party, they're gonna, like, yell something stupid and then paint an elephant, and this movie, I think, stops ten degrees short of that. Um, it's sort of, it's, it's a movie about an experimental military, uh, mental asylum in which every single uh, patient is, they're functionally operating on the version of insanity that 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 one character from MASH who wears a dress to try to get out of the Korean War is... Um, they're yeah, they're they are fully on the clinger scale. Yeah, and it's they sort of introduce it in a way where it's clearly p- part of the introductory screed is that is that the military has established all of these sort of experimental uh, mental asylums because they're not sure if people are faking mental illness to get out of the war or if they are truly just going insane. Uh, And then the movie doesn't dive into that anymore, really. Uh, It sort of operates under the assumption that both are happening simultaneously. Uh, (laughs) All of these people are very aware of what's happening, but also 
genuinely crazy. Um, and and being crazy in ways like that, where one of them's putting on Macbeth, but but with dogs, um, and is very particular <laughs> about what dogs play what roles. And uh, and one of them thinks he's the medical staff and has a whole group of dudes dressed up like medical staff. But also there's stuff where like early on in the movie, a man demands that someone has stolen his jetpack, and then 45 minutes later flies by wearing a jetpack. <laughs> Um, because the movie operates on all levels of logic simultaneously. Uh, so that's the setting, but not the plot. Um, but, and then ad- additionally, there's an astronaut who is a character from The Exorcist, uh, who... I, there's like a super minor scene in The Exorcist. I had to go look up this scene to confirm this for myself. But there's a scene. Oh, you're you're on you're on information. I don't. I didn't find. So, so. you know the the guy who, who the, the, they keep being like, why didn't you go to space? Yeah, yeah. He's he. I would I would call him one of the main. He's characters. one of the main characters. Like, there's a whole lot of supporting astronaut. characters that have a lot going on. Yeah. But he he's one of he's, he's like one of them. One of two or three main characters. Yeah, he's the last dude you see in the movie. Um, yeah. And he is in one scene in The Exorcist that is a like a parlor party where he's an astronaut who's getting ready to go to space and R- Regan Reagan, the girl from The Exorcist, walks down, tells him he's going to die in space, pees her pants, and leaves. So the presumption oh, right. is that that character then almost goes to space, cancels the launch just before it goes, and is put in this asylum. Which is why I'm saying this is very explicitly The Exorcist 2. Uh, oh, that's wonderful! Because yeah. I, I was already to back you on this being <laughs> thematically yeah. because the, it's definitely the real set in the Exorcist same world. 2. Yes. But, and, and even, yeah, even set, like, I think all of Blatty's stuff is vaguely set in the same world, yeah. because the world he writes about is, he thinks, the real world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's his version of the real world. Um, But that... Wow. Yeah. So one of the main characters is a guy who is in one scene in The Exorcist, which is interesting. Um, But he's also not... But then the main thread is about this man who shows up to to be in charge, he thinks, of the asylum. And then uh, his name is Herman Cain. uh, And he... He's got a nine 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 plan. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he shows and up pizza with a lot of for everybody. <laughs> um, I don't remember his first name. Something came, uh, and he. Uh, I think his first name is Killer Kane. Yeah, Killer Kane. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Kane, who's played by Stacy Keach, who just mean mugs everything, oh. every piece of the set. He mean mugs every human being. He mean mugs. It's great. Uh, we we have to take a minute, not necessarily right this minute, yeah. but just because you mentioned Stacey Keach, we do have to at some point in time run through the cast of this movie oh. because it's incredible. So it's, this is going to be worth mentioning later, maybe, but the so the guy who is the astronaut also plays, I think, the dead priest in Exorcist 3, or the, the priest who almost dies in Exorcist 3. Um, so we can loop back to that later. Uh, yeah, I think that is correct. But, but then, to, to give away the ending, uh, th- this guy thinks his brother was a murderer who went crazy in Vietnam and murdered a bunch of people, but it turns out that he is that brother, and his actual brother is a psychologist who's played by Ed Flanders, who plays the priest in Exorcist 3. <laughs> uh, yes. And is also in... He was in one of the Stephen King movies we watched as... Uh, uh, I want to say it was the um, the first Toby Hooper oh, one. Oh, yeah. Um... 
Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. He's the dad of the lady that the main character wants to marry, and he's a delight. He's a, he's not a dude I was super familiar with, but I sort of he, he's such a delight in every movie that we've seen him in the last two months. Yeah. He always is a standout. I don't know. Every time I see him doing things, I'm like that guy. He's pretty terrific. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that guy is. He claims the medical doctor, but it turns out at the end he's actually the brother who is a psychologist, and the whole thing is about an experiment to try to cure Stacy Keach, uh, who is a man who went crazy and murdered a bunch of innocent people, in including yes. there's one shot of him having just beheaded a child. Yes, with presumably his bare hands. Yes, yeah, because he has no weapon. <laughs> Um, and the movie then bears out yeah. later that he can kill anyone with his bare hands. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> in an insane scene in, in a... I, I would not call it a bar fight necessarily, but I guess technically it is. It's a fight It's sort of a bar, in a bar water. but it's not... Yeah, yeah. I, we, we'll, we need to spend conservatively three hours on that scene alone. No. Possibly just on the biker's wardrobe alone. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I also, uh, while watching it, looked up that main biker guy because I was like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> and he's just a big guy who's in a oh, obviously he's in a bunch of named Steve Steve Sandor. Yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, um, great, just a big yeah, man sidekick, with an intense face. His sidekick Richard Lynch uh, has played a lot of interesting roles in like horror and science fiction, right. including one that has a link to this scene. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that was that was sort of <laughs> no, no, an overview no, of the movie, fun. but the movie is it's bonkers. The movie's completely bonkers yeah. and impossible to really sum up yeah. because it takes so many. It it takes plot wise, like the overarching plot wise, has twists and turns. Yeah. But then I would say that the majority of the movie is not yes. plot based. Oh, absolutely. It's bit based. Yes. It's the the cast of characters in this experimental insane asylum doing theater bits yes. like everybody it's weird to me william peter blatty was an army psychologist oh interesting but his depiction of insanity yeah or of, of mental illness in this is five thousand percent like drama kid yeah. cartoon yes. insanity yeah which is what and that's why i it took me half an hour of the movie at first, I was like, I, at first, I was reading them all as as on the Klinger scale, right? I was like, oh, these guys are all pretending to be crazy. But for the ending of the movie, by the end of it, you have to be on the side of there is a genuine insanity here. It is just being yes. portrayed this way. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely is asking you to just kind of come to where it is. But it's yes. but it Which feels very much like he's trying to. He's like dealing with. A specific kind of insanity and trying to view it from inside of itself right where it's like because they because these characters don't have they have a flawed understanding of how the world works his world will work in that flawed way within the walls of this castle yes yeah, we should mention that they're in a castle. They're in a I don't castle. know if we even mentioned In the Pacific Northwest <laughs> we, somewhere. We say it's an experimental asylum. It's an experimental asylum yeah. in a castle. In a castle. Like, in a foggy and not castle even like, far like, away. It's a legit, like, full-on stone castle yeah. with a courtyard and yes. mead halls and all of that yeah. going on. That, so, that is so, <laughs> it's sort of run like a... Um, uh, what's the... Like a Waldorf school, right? It's like the inmates... Yeah, everybody gets to do what do they whatever want they're to. into. 
and the and the psychologist, the main guy who's who it turns out to not actually be a psychologist, is just like they can talk to me whenever they want. I'll talk about whatever they want. They don't have to talk to me if they don't want to. And that's sort of the overriding principle of the whole place. It's just everyone kind of they're there, they're safe, they're in a castle. They can do whatever they so want. So they do. get to, yeah, which includes, as you said, uh, riding jetpacks, yeah. staging plays with dogs, yeah. where they're getting the dogs. Who knows? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, one character. I think the the first t- uh, major interaction that Stacy Keach's character has mm-hmm. is with um, I forget which character this was actually unfortunately who steals but the it's paints. one of, no 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 oh. the one who's who's hitting the wall with a sledgehammer oh yeah oh yeah and he explains that he's hitting it to teach the wall a lesson yeah I think that's the astronaut oh is that the astronaut is that so. Scott Wilson okay that makes sense yeah. I just, I, no, for it some can't be because it's someone who says that they're they have multiple personalities. That's not him. Later, yeah, yeah, yeah. It? It, it's not him. It's somebody because it, so Scott Wilson, Captain Billy Cutshaw's yeah. whole deal is is much more uh, a sedate. Yeah, because he a just lot didn't of the other ones, he's sort of like the. I mean, he he flipped out. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. there's a scene of him being dragged away from the castle, yeah. like screaming at everybody. Yeah. But mostly he's mopey. Yeah. In the he's either mopey or like very. Uh, articulately angry. Yes. Uh, he's not one of the like loopy performers. Well, because he's not consistently crazy, right? He had one major freak out and was sent to this asylum, and I was just kind of there. Yes. And he's bummed about it. Yeah, and, and he feels like he ruined his uh, life and uh, other stuff. Well, well, I, I mean, I think Blatty yeah. is. Uh, is positing something a little more metaphysical sure. than just psychological and, and just like that. Um, that <laughs> when we get into Christ crucified on the moon, well, sure. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, kind of work through that. But the, what, one of the first scenes that Stacy Keach has is with a guy who's hitting, teaching the wall a lesson with a sledgehammer yeah. because the guy says he is able to walk through solid objects mm-hmm. Uh, because the molecules have respect for him, yeah. I think he says. And, but when he just ran at this wall, he bounced off it. Mm-hmm. And so the molecules are showing him disrespect. So yeah. now he's teaching them a lesson with a sledgehammer. Yeah. And Stacy Keach offers to help him yeah. and, like, swing the hammer himself, like, takes the hammer. And it's his first example of this completely, uh, you know, open and caring. And, it, you know, it's a it's a real yes and, yeah. uh, you know, psychological treatment. And what's interesting is there's there's one, there's maybe four guards around the place uh, who seem like mostly they're just there to keep people from hurting themselves. But one of them mm-hmm. in particular with an amazing face keeps getting sort of caught up in not wanting to play that game notably in that scene where he has when Stacy Keach enters he's been yelling at that guy that he's not allowed to smash the wall and then later uh, when Stacy Keach is telling him he has to wear a Nazi SS uniform he gets really mad about it uh, which is <laughs> yeah I would also Ma- um, major groper groper is that his, his name, name is okay. so uh, and and it seems like on one hand maybe he's supposed to be part of like the old guard where maybe they used to be less permissive but also the main dude who is the medical doctor who is Ed Flanders at the beginning of the movie the first time we meet him an inmate has stolen his pants and he's not making a big deal about it at all he's just like ah I hope he doesn't yeah. ruin my pants hey if somebody could get my pants back that'd be cool um, and then he doesn't have his pants back for four scenes um, so it seems like it's always been a super permissive space and maybe just Groper is, is well, more no, uptight he's, he's new too Oh, they both show up at the they same time. They came in together. I didn't yeah. get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. that's the whole thing, is that he's... there. The And it, it's that forgiven because it is so convoluted. Yeah. But uh, Ed Flanders is a psychiatrist yeah. 
who and Stacy Keach is his patient. Right. But when they show up, yeah. Ed Flander says that he's the doctor yeah. and Stacy Keach is the psychiatrist. Yeah. But I thought I saw Ed Flanders had already been there pretending to be a doctor for a while. I see. No, I think that I don't I maybe he was and I I mean it's kind of irrelevant plot wise, so. but Yeah. But it, it does Either way, that one guy is the yeah. only one who seems to be fighting the idea that everyone can do what they want. Um so just some of the other people in this asylum yeah. include Jason Miller mm-hmm. from The Exorcist yes. and The Exorcist 3. Yes. Uh making him oh, right, right. the the full threefer yeah. for bladder bladdy movies. Um he's playing the character who is putting on Macbeth or, oh. or is he putting on Hamlet? It might be Hamlet. Cuz they I have a whole Hamlet. argument no, you're about right, Hamlet. Hamlet. It's definitely Hamlet. They they have a whole argument about is Hamlet genuinely insane yeah. or is he pretending to be insane, right. which is a you know argument that literary scholars have had for a long sure. time. And it's also and sort of foundational to the whole conceit of this asylum. Yes, yeah. And and Miller's character's take, which presumably is maybe Vladdy's take as well, is that uh, Hamlet is pretending to be insane, mm-hmm. but only because to do otherwise would cause him to genuinely go insane. Right. And I found that extra funny because that is also the main conceit of Grant Morrison's run on Batman. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes me think that Grant Morrison just saw this movie a long time ago and just hoovered it up into his... I mean, that's how Grant Morrison works. His magic brain. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's his whole concept is like, you know, everybody writes Batman as crazy, but I'm writing Batman as sane. He made the only choice that he could make to stay sane, which was to be crazy. Um, which which also feels so like anyway, a sort of foundational idea <laughs> for this asylum where everyone is clinger crazy. It seems like that's sort of like a, you're like, oh, okay, they are all being crazy, so they aren't crazy. You know? It, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all performing this, like, super extra zany craziness yes. so that they don't have to deal with yeah. the genuine darkness. Yeah, of and Vietnam the, in this yeah, scenario. Yeah, presumably. Um, of, of Vietnam... Of also just I think again like a more broad darkness of sure. the human soul. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't think we've said it explicitly yet, but William Peter Blatty is extremely Catholic, yeah. and that's and the thing. His works are extremely Catholic. That's the thing you just told me because I from these movies assumed that he was a man who was like raised Catholic and clearly had a deep understanding of Catholicism, but I but I was never sure if he was trying to proselytize or if he just liked to use this sort of deep rich imagery um because right, i can read these right. movies either way right they're they're definitely using those as tools but this movie in particular the last two minutes of it is blatty saying also p.s god's definitely real yes <laughs> um and i like that message is delivered via a saint christopher's medal yeah yeah um and yeah so so blatty uh, you know, the, the Exorcist is obviously a story that has uh, you know religious figures in it. Yeah. It's about a religious action, sure. Um, but but it doesn't you know, feel like it's more Catholic than it needs to be to be a movie about a Catholic exorcism. Yeah, <laughs> and, and importantly, that's because uh, Blatty didn't direct it sure. himself. And, William and Friedkin is a it. blazing atheist. <laughs> He's at the very least a nihilist. Yeah. I feel. Like. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what uh, I mean. <laughs> it's not that he doesn't believe um, in God. It's just that he doesn't believe in anything. 
And Friedkin and Blatty had huge arguments oh, over the original Exorcist in terms of how explicit to make mm-hmm. the reality of the devil. Sure. Um, Friedkin wanted to keep it as ambiguous as possible to have things happen that were not necessarily physically possible, but, sure. you know, maybe it's in somebody's head or maybe it's, you know, something else going on. Um, and Blatty wanted it to be very clear that what is happening. Yeah is the devil has possessed somebody. Because, and this is important, to Blatty, that is a real thing that happens. He was not writing a book about something because he thought it was scary and made it exciting. He was writing a book as like pulpy and exciting as he could to get the message across to as many people as possible that this is that a the real devil danger. is real Whoa. that the devil possesses people and that the way you defeat him is through faith in god very specifically a catholic faith that's crazy so he uh the the thing they fought about the most uh was the ending mm-hmm. <clears throat> at least that's what i've read uh, that um, you know, Blatty wanted it to be very clear that what happens at the end of The Exorcist is uh, the priest forces the devil to leave the girl's body yeah. and enter the priest's body, mm-hmm. Jason Miller's body, mm-hmm. and then Jason Miller commits suicide with the devil inside of him to end this like chain of possessions. Okay. And Friedkin shot it in and edited it in such a way that people were very unclear as what happened at the end, yeah. whether I remember the it pushes very Jason Miller out yeah. or yeah, it's like kind of chaotic. Yeah. And so, um, yes, yeah, just like they, they get the devil out of the girl, all hell breaks loose. And then the movie and then ends. he's dead at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. ah, what? Yeah. And then it's just over. Yeah. Um, great. So, great so Friedkin was furious because so many people were coming up to him and talking about how, like, it's crazy that Satan wins at the end oh, of your Blatty. movie. And he, oh, sorry, yeah. Blatkin. Yeah. Blatkin. Uh, Blatty was furious um, because <clears throat> people thought, like, a lot of people thought that Satan wins at sure, the end of the movie sure. because he kills the priest. Yeah. And, and Blatty wanted it very clear that that is not what happened. So uh, in, I think, 2000 or 2001, Blatty got the chance to go back in and recut it the way he wanted it. Okay. Uh, and that was what was released as the director's cut, but it wasn't actually a director's cut. It it's wasn't the screenwriter's cut. cut. It was, it was <laughs> Blatty's cut. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the producer screenwriter's cut. Wow. That was when he added back in the um, the spider walk scene, too. I don't uh, okay. know if you ever saw that. I remember hearing that that had been added in and people being like excited about it, which is funny because he also does that in Exorcist 3. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So which it seems like once you've already gotten it out of your happens. system, why shove it back in the old movie? Right? Yeah, 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 true. But, you know, he, he's got a message to give yeah, us. Yeah. So, so this is the context from which we're coming to this film, which is nominally about psychology. Yes. But ultimately mm-hmm. about faith yeah. and good and, and evil. redemption because and, yeah yeah the the problem that is posited mm-hmm. is that scott wilson captain billy cutshaw yes. because the film really is about killer kane yes. serving as a redemptive force for the astronaut yes the astronaut has lost his faith mm-hmm. in the universe yes. he basically believes that if he goes up into space he's going to be going into nothingness yes yeah, because the devil and told he, him that in a different movie <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and so that is but to Blatty that's a very literal thing like yeah. the astronaut is having a crisis not because he's having mental health issues but because the devil yeah. told him something that he believed yeah. like the devil as a deceiver yes. has gotten into his head and into his soul and Stacy Keach 
has also had the devil in him, but a different kind of devil. Yes. He has been one of the most proficient killers in Vietnam to the point where, you know, human life almost ceased to mean anything to him mm-hmm. until he had a psychotic break. Yes. After killing that, after beheading that child with his bare hands. Yeah. Um, and what he does, and this, this is what's interesting to me and, and what Blatty has him sort of posits is, is happening is that his brother, the actual psychiatrist says that what happened to him after that mm-hmm. is that he uh, basically took on the identity of his brother. Yeah. Because there's two Colonel Canes. Yes. They're both colonels, both last name Kane. And they and he accidentally got the, the tr- offer him the position that Ed Flanders is supposed to receive. Yeah, he gets he gets Ed Flanders transfer papers. Yeah. And just in that moment, Becomes he flips a switch <laughs> and becomes his brother, but he doesn't. So, so his brother makes it very clear he doesn't become his brother sure. in that he doesn't imitate him. What happens is he uses that moment to jettison all the darkness in him. Yeah. And I believe the phrase is he becomes the pure goodness that we all have within us. Sure. So like that really is like even more so than your your average trashy film that tries to make a Jesus parallel. Yeah. Blatty's actually trying to explore what would make a character a Jesus oh, character. Yeah. You know, very fully and explicitly. And it's not just like, oh, he's the hero who has to die at the end. No. He is somebody who he, has cleansed himself yeah. of evil yeah. and accepts Through everyone who comes of his death way. And rebirth. And then yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then refuses to to push anyone away in any way at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really compelling portrait yes. of goodness. It is. Like, it, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to go sign up for Blatty's Church, no. but I, I, it's, it is for that kind of a, you know, essentially proselytizing message. Yeah. It is remarkably convincing because of the work he does to show this person so completely giving over to the needs of others. Yeah, yeah, he's such um, a and deeply good human being. All yeah. he does since he since between when he arrives and finds out that he's a murderer, all he does is is anything he can for everyone else. He's just he's there as yeah. much as he can be for them. He he won't sleep if someone wants to talk to him. He just makes himself available and and yeah, completely yes hands everything. Everything for them. Yeah. So much so that he's unnerving. Yeah. And part of it Which is, is a little the film bit is making Keech. Well, it is a little bit Stacey Keach, but I mean, it's a little bit casting Stacey Keach, right? Oh, yeah. And I actually think that's one of the, the clever things is that you're casting this man who is, you know, on any other day, pure rage. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, definitely could be one of our 12 angry men. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you, and you're having him basically smolder. Yeah. As this, like, coiled beast. But every time he leaps, it's to offer a hand. Yes. Or to, you know, pick someone up. And it, it's, so that's unnerving. Mm-hmm. But then it's also, so you, you also have this sense of like, okay, well, there's something else going on, something else strange, something dark. And the film is unnerving. But it's also bloody playing with the idea that if you genuinely met someone as selfless as Christ, yeah. it would be the strangest thing you ever encountered. Yeah, you would have no idea you know? how to deal with it. You actually get the feeling, it's like, oh, you know, I kind of understand why they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> because what is this? Yeah. Um, so it, 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 I really, and, and I'm making it sound like this film is fully a hundred percent successful at its philosophic sure. side. And it is not. It's not. It is at times clumsy. Yes. It is at times extremely muddled. Yes. Uh, and we haven't even gotten to the biker scene yet, which really yeah. <laughs> takes us off into a completely different stratosphere. But 
there is something at the core of this film that I found remarkably compelling on a spiritual level, sure. which I feel like Blatty would be delighted to hear. He would be so happy. Um, where, where do we go from there? <laughs> do we go to the biker scene? Do we go to the reveal? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess we could do the biker scene. I mean, what are we missing if we don't do that? I don't know. We're I missing like, well, taking. Here's the thing: is like eight hundred thousand details is what we're missing. Right. This is yeah, a hard this movie, is a movie to talk that, about yeah. with any kind of breadth at all, which is the only yes. way you can talk about a thing, right? It's I. I would recommend everyone watch it for sure. Um, it's a delightful film to watch. It's very strange. It's so dense. I don't think there's any way we can adequately fill in all the details that we have not. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a really good point, is that this movie, this is a movie more than almost any other I've seen in yeah. a long time, at least, that completely lives in its moment-to-moment yeah. business. And it's the you kind know, of thing it, where I can say, a man floats by on a jetpack in a world where that doesn't make sense, and you can think, ha ha ha, that's gonna be a funny bit, but within the context of the scene that it's happening, it is just a thing. You know? It's yeah. it's not... Yeah, there he goes aren't... past Moses Gunn dressed as Superman, yeah. but with an N in the yes. place, and I was really worried about what was about to happen. Same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. A- a- yeah. And like, and they're in the middle of yelling at dogs for not being eloquent enough or whatever. It's, it's... The whole movie is, all, and, and I, but I feel like approaching it as like that, a super bonkers movie is also wrong because oh, it's completely. such a deeply grounded movie. Just everything in it is strange. It's also extremely sincere. Yeah, you know, yes. it's not. It's it's funny. Yes, and wacky, mm-hmm. but to a very sincere end. Yes, and I also don't think. I think it would be very easy to look at this film and think that whoever made it didn't have it under control or didn't know what they were doing. Sure. But I actually think that almost everything in the film is pretty much the way Blatty wanted it to be. That seems correct. And his reasons for it. And there may be some things where I'm like, well, I would have done that differently sure. or that doesn't really work for me. But it never, to me, it never feels like he's doesn't have a sure hand on oh, yeah. getting what he wants out of it. It is in control. Um, yeah, so, so there's a whole lot of dense detail watch the movie it's you haven't seen anything else like it really yeah. uh, I, I promise <laughs> um but so so in the overarching plot which we can address as we said this is about uh killer kane uh basically coming out of the jungle as a phantom yes. to uh renew astronaut billy cutshaw's faith yes. in the universe and ultimately in god yeah uh, in well, in in to to Blatty's credit, in the potential goodness of human beings. Yes. Um, so he, he does he does root it yeah. in that. Yeah, there's a specific find. scene where that yeah. sort of sets up the ending, where he demands to hear about a single action of genuine goodness that Stacy yeah. anything Stacy Keach has genuine ever sacrifice. truly seen, and Stacy Keach can't come up with an example, and he's like, "Then I will continue to be a crazy man," and storms off. Yeah. So so then Stacy Keach has to provide that example. Um, but so the the way he gets that opportunity is. Uh, the astronaut who's very mad that, uh, you know, Kane has been misrepresented is not who he said he was, yes. uh, leaves the castle and goes to a nearby 
bar. Biker bar? Yeah. Or a bar that has been overrun it's been by overrun bikers, by bikers temporarily? Were, they were in one scene at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, shit. Driving down were the street they? being assholes. Yeah. It's oh, when, wow. when Stacy Keach is showing up, those dudes blast past him on the road and, like, are yelling things. Oh, I wonder if and I was then, a sandwich when that happened. Presu- <laughs> and then presumably hang out at that bar for the three months that happened in between. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Um, um, so... And then, yeah, it's this bar that's been overrun by flamboyant, angry, violent bikers. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I the yeah we'll we'll describe the bikers in more detail and the <laughs> Blatty gets gets very Catholic in a very specific way in constructing these bikers. I don't know what that means. Um, well, I maybe maybe you'll disagree with me, but we'll we'll go over. It. So the the bikers recognize Billy Cutshaw as the yes. astronaut that freaked out, and they start tormenting him, and then Kane shows up and rescues him yeah. essentially yeah uh and then you know they they go back to the castle and kane has essentially sacrificed himself for this it's it's a little unclear whether i mean kane kills himself yeah which is a big because, question i have that's my one big question but we can talk about that in a minute yeah kane kills himself to somehow prove to the astronaut that he would sacrifice himself for him yeah. and i i can i can tell you what my understanding of what Blatty intended that to mean yeah. is, uh, but it is it is a, a moment in the film where you're like, I don't. Well, it feels like a specific disapproval to me. So it's so I'm just gonna back it up a little bit. In in the bar, the uh, the bikers are getting violent and weird with with uh, Kershaw, and then uh, Stacy Keats shows up and and sort of demands that they let him go, and then they start harassing him, and they make him say. I think they're all Marines, right? They make him say things. They're like, ah, Marines eat dirt. They make him say really demeaning things. Yeah, and they, like, make him, they make him really debase lick himself. Lick the floor or something, and then they start beating and, him up, and then he snaps and murders everybody. Yeah. Um, and then they go back to the back to the castle, and and Stacy Keach sits in a chair and kills himself with a knife yes. and says, "Here's he's like, this is your one beautiful act of self, self-sacrifice and goodness. But earlier when they were having that conversation, Keech had pulled out a couple of examples of of things that were examples of self-sacrificing goodness and uh, and and Kershaw d- dismisses them in various ways. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, a man with uh, a man with a terminal illness on a lifeboat where he throws himself into the ocean to save the other people from his terminal illness. And... Uh, right. And Kershaw says, well, no, that's him. That's self-pity. That's him saying, I shouldn't be alive and killing himself. And that feels like exactly what Stacy Keach does at the end. It feels like he is he has found out that he is this murderer and and out of self-pity murders himself to save the world from him. And that, yeah. so it feels to me like a disproval <laughs> of the central so, uh, thesis. But surely that's not what it's meant to be. I think the issue there is that what, what Keach is giving as an example is the sort of abstract thought experiment that always gets pulled out when talking about those things mm-hmm. and it's in coming face to face with the real thing that but is it, important for it Cut still Shaw. feels to me that keach is killing himself for his own purposes it doesn't feel to me that he's killing himself for anything that has anything to do with kershaw well so so the the film states fairly explicitly i think in the letter that he leaves 
Kutshaw uh-huh. from beyond the grave. Yes. Uh, that he killed himself to provide the shock that Kutshaw needed. Oh, right. He needed to be shocked to out of recover. it. recover. And basically, he has to, he has to come face to face with real, genuine goodness and sacrifice in a heavily, like, shocking way to jolt him out of yeah. his malaise. I mean, I guess I buy uh, it as a shock. I can, don't buy it as a pure goodness. I, I don't necessarily either. I buy that that's what Blatty is attempting sure, to present it for sure. as. Uh, I, I mean, I could have a lot of issues with... I mean, I don't think that's probably an effective psychiatric treatment. <laughs> you don't think <laughs> so? Your psychiatrist killing yourself in front himself? of your patient. Eh, I don't know. Um... But it, I, but it's also very specifically for for Blatty. That's how Kane avoids going to hell for killing himself because he's not committing suicide. He's killing himself, and there's a difference. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's a, if you're committing suicide, it's because you've lost faith in life and the world, and mm. you're basically giving into that. But he's killing if you himself. You're killing yourself for the good of someone yeah, else. Right. Yeah, and because and that's the thing is that Kane very makes very clear that like he still believes in the good of people. Right. He still believes in the goodness of the universe, and he's saying to Cutshaw, I have this belief. I'm going to kill myself to give you that belief. Yeah. So that's Blatty's okay. position. I think... And I guess that's you just and I are me having have... a difference of faith with William Peter well, Blatty. I was going to say, I, that, I that doesn't make any sense to me, philosophy. but it's, yeah, it's a philosophical yeah. issue, I guess. Everything leading up to that, I was like pretty much on board, but then there's always that sort of breaking point when, when something is, yes. is based on a, just a different yeah. philosophical concept and there there are issues to an extent even in our beloved exorcist 3 sure that come up for that um which we'll get to in the next hour yeah. uh, <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> uh, right now a news break and weather <laughs> but no so so let's just go back I, that that's the whole movie yeah it's even if you know that plot 100% worth watching yeah. for all the bits. Yes. But let's just go back into that biker bar. Yeah. Because that is simultaneously one of the most uh, exciting sequences. Sure. And the sequence where I almost had to jump ship with Blatty. Yeah. <laughs> because he gets real iffy for me there. Um, and may- maybe you had a different reading of the scene. But to me, the the big reveal... So you said th- these are these flamboyant bikers. Yeah. Right, um, and that was one of the first things that got me really excited about the scene is yes. that the 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 main guy mm-hmm. um, is this incredibly huge, like muscular uh, figure who is wearing a cutoff vest and a scarf around his neck yeah. and sunglasses yeah. inside at night. It's cool as hell, and he's just you know really being a complete. V- you know, psychotic, violent lunatic. Yes. Um, his sidekick is a more modestly dressed, thinner, um, more I guess less substantial presence. He has sort of sort of a weird countenance. It's Richard Lynch. Like yeah. like I said, he's played aliens and weirdos in lots and lots of movies. Sure. Um, and it for most of the scene, I was trying to figure out just how much Blatty meant these to be gay bikers. Sure. And when the main guy takes his glasses off to reveal that he has a massive amount of eyeshadow on, yeah. and then kisses Stacy Keach full on the mouth, yeah. I was like, okay, this is absolutely meant to be the like, oh, you know, like the evil wages of sin. homosexual bikers. Right. 
I, um, so, Jason, because we hadn't talked yet about about the deep Christianity of Blatty, I wasn't <laughs> watching either of these movies assuming they were written by someone with st- strong conservative Christian values. And so I didn't... Right. I mean, I definitely read them. I mean, I read them as sort of anarchistically pansexual, but I... Yeah. I definitely... I didn't even think about that as being, like, a, a, cor- a corruption of those men. <laughs> I mean, I, th- there is some plausible deniability in that there are also women in the gang, yeah. and they appear to have some sort of relationship with them, but there is sure. no sexuality between yeah. the male bikers and the female bikers at all. Well, there's the one only of the interaction bikers. they have is one of them slaps her in the face. Oh, there's one, there was one there's pairing any... that I read as a straight couple, but I, I did okay, definitely... there might be. But but yeah, that I, is I, one pairing out of thirty five yeah. bikers, um, and the so so the like other things that <laughs> that sort of feed into this. Yeah. I mean the 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 reveal of the eyeshadow is also played like you know the serial killer taking his mask off to See, reveal what he really is. And again, for like, me, that's that beat that it has. For me, it was just like you think this guy's cool. Oh, he's even cooler. I yes. Yeah. That, that's what I wanted it to be. Yeah. That's when I first saw how he was dressed, I was like, this is the best choice anyone has ever yeah. made. Yeah. And then as the scene went on, I started to realize, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. He's doing, he's, Blatty's making some choices that I think are great, but it's because but I'm coming he's at this from a, a context that is not reading it. And, and I also feel like that we're far enough removed from when this movie was made yes. that, because I mean, this is a movie from 1980, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that those things would have maybe read even more clearly yeah. as supposed to be coded gay. The, the other interesting thing is that Richard Lynch, his, his sidekick, yeah. one of his major roles, at least in films I care about, mm-hmm. is as the um, androgynous alien Christ from God Told Me To? I don't know what that is. Oh, oh, God. It's Larry Cohen's most serious movie. Oh, okay. Uh, which is essentially, I am convinced, was Larry Cohen saying, what if Ziggy Stardust was real? Okay. And the villain in a horror movie. Okay. Uh, and Richard Lynch plays essentially Ziggy Stardust. Okay. Uh, and one of his chief horrifying features is that he is... Uh, intersex oh, uh, and and vaguely androgynous. So there's some real homosexual panic uh, or homophobic panic in God Told Me To, yeah. which I don't know if Blatty's aware of when he cast Lynch, but it, it's a weird enough connection to this other scene where Richard Lynch, I think, is clearly being cast against Steve Sandor for his yes. more effeminate qualities. Sure. Uh, and also the thing that makes Stacey Keach snap is when Richard Lynch tries to mouth rape the astronaut. Sure. Uh, and it, it just all of it feeds together into what then becomes Stacey Keach murdering a whole yeah. bunch of gay bikers yes. with his bare hands. Yeah. In an amazing sequence. It is like, an amazing here's sequence. Here's the thing. There's nothing about that scene in terms of filmmaking yeah. that I sure. dislike at all. Yeah. And if I hadn't just sort of twitched halfway through to what I think Blatty probably meant, yeah. I could live in that space of plausible deniability yeah. of like, no, he's just making a bunch of rad, weird decisions yes. about this. But I do think there's there's something going on there that, yeah. that is I mean, extra I, unfortunate. I, I didn't end up with that read that you had, even though I'm now hearing it, sure that you're correct. Um, and so when I watched it, it was a pretty delightful scene. But I did, I do feel like there's an intrinsic queerness to biker culture and and leather 
in particular that has been well yes. established. And I mean, Scorpio Rising was what, like early sixties. Uh, yes. So yes. I, I, so for me watching that, I, I feel like there is a queerness to those characters, but I wasn't reading it as foundational. I was reading that as an aspect of their bikerness, you know. Yeah, and, which would be my preferred way to read it. And That's watching how I the, wish scene the scene that way, it's fun. Yes. But knowing what I now know about Blatty, you're right that he was probably <laughs> like, God doesn't like these people; they're weirdos. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. That makes this movie a little harder to watch. It does. It does. And I mean, first of all, I, there is a tiny bit of space for me to be wrong. Sure. Um, but I don't think so. No. And particularly because the film is so invested I mean, in. If the man a very believes in demonic kind of possessions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's. So. There's also. And I was a little struck by this even before that biker scene where they show up with their eye makeup and stuff. I was a little bit struck by how non, how like aggressively non-queer the rest of the movie. There's there are men in dresses, yes. there are yes. men putting on theater, uh, but it's very mask-heavy. You know, there's yes. it. It feels like they're. It feels like he had written some some things that are traditionally flamboyant for some of the characters to do, but, but then in directing was like, you are a meat-eating straight man, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and the cast, I mean, it's... It is, it's, it's all like... Robert, Robert Boja masculine men. Yeah. Joe Spinell, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, yeah. like, it's, it's a bunch of dudes who you could see, like, on a dock... Yes, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is. Um, so so that's the one thing that like it, it to in some ways it makes the scene even more interesting as like a peek into. Sure. But but it is sort of where Blatty comes back down to earth in a way because yeah. so much of the well, film is spent in a literal way. It's the first time we leave the castle in two hours. Oh yeah, 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 yeah totally. It's 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 out of place in multiple ways. It's it's sort yeah. of a breach of everything. And then and yeah. then because of that, the world in in the shape of the police are then allowed to enter the castle yeah um and and i i'm not gonna throw away the movie for it no, and still watch the movie especially because the performances in that scene by the bikers oh are my amazing God. Yeah. and i like so much of the construction of it is just just top notch yeah. and it, it does god i wish he directed more than two i know uh, <laughs> it is astonishing that he only did these two um to me. well you know i don't think they did well <laughs> and he is definitely somebody who's not going to go off and make an independent film on his own sure he's going to make a film if a studio will pay for a film yeah, which is smart yeah um so that's the ninth configuration yeah about as best as we can configure it can i wait just for uh, on the on the stage of plausible deniability uh yes when moses gunn is wearing that and the superman costume yes his character's name is also namek it is also his initial oh it is i'm shrugging never right now because like who knows <laughs> i i listened very i was like because he says it in that scene and i was like oh okay <laughs> uh, okay yeah I mean, I mean, look, still who knows? Also, still who knows? <laughs> but but also still like you know, plausible deniability. Yeah, could be a Richard Pryor reference. You know? Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they, that's a that's a lot. It's it's on the edge, but it's a lot less dicey than <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah the Michael scene is um, just a thing that I watched wrong. The the costume. Uh, God, could you go watched it the ways. better way though.
I, well, when I first yeah. saw Steve Sandor's costume, I was so excited. Yeah, it's. So I was like, we need good. to dress. We need to find a man this size yes. and dress him exactly this way yes. for an entire movie. Oh, hundred percent. And I still think that. Yeah. I think we can reclaim it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think. That's, I mean, I've that- I've made films where characters are dressed in that mode, uh, and yes. and love it and want to do it at any chance that I can. But but I've never worked yeah. with a man. I've never cast a man that masculine in any of my films. <laughs> um, and that made me want to. We almost did that one time. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember. We made a movie that was... I can't you, remember his name. Yeah, but... neither can I. We said it a lot for a while because we pretended to be him. But it was... He, uh, <laughs> with his headshot, you remember that? We hold it up and be like, I'm whatever. Uh-huh. Um, we were making a movie that was... We built sets in a garage, and this giant of a masculine man came in and auditioned, and he was amazing. Because it was sort of like a bravado-based character, uh, and he would have been incredible, but because we were shooting in a garage, he was tall enough that we never would have seen above his neck. (laughs) (laughs) He literally would not have fit on the set. Too big for our sets. Yeah. but I, I do think about that sometimes. <laughs> so you, you got him muscular and smooth and put a neck scarf on him. Right. I think we could make a great movie. Yeah, and like a ton, like cat eye eyeliner. His eyeliner also legitimately it really looks good. Dope. It's <laughs> it made me want to wear eyeliner. I'm yeah, not tough I, like, enough. Uh, uh, I, yeah, like even while I was feeling weirded out by the scene, yeah. I was still loving it. Yeah. Um, if I was more square, I would start wearing eyeliner like that. I also really like the conceit of a scene like that in in on the the vector of a person completely uh, not rising oh, to yeah. the traditional bait of like oh, I will yeah. be masculine and fight back yeah. because because Keech he, takes I, so much he so eats much dirt for minutes. And, and so long as it's about ego or honor, yeah. he just takes it. Yeah. And it's only when, you know, his friend is about to be physically harmed yeah. that he snaps. Yeah. And I really it's appreciate really that. It's really beautiful. Um, and it, it put me in mind of what I liked so much about the end of Old Boy, the actual Old Boy, not sure. Spike Lee's Old Boy. I haven't seen sure. Spike Lee's. Yeah. But it was, it, it, Park Chan-wook does this thing. He, he does it a little bit at the end of Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, mm-hmm. but then he does it even more so at the end of old boy where you it's this this revenge plot Mm -hmm. this like driving revenge plot that finally gets to the scene of revenge and what the main character ends up doing is he realizes that you know basically the the person he wants to kill has the power to do something even more horrible than he has done yeah and instead of kill him, he completely debases himself yes. in front of him. Yeah. And just like he he gives over all masculine ego. Yeah. And and it's a phenomenal scene to watch. And it just it's, I I Yeah. It's also that I, movie is I, I gutting. Really, I mean, that movie is gutting. But that that scene in particular, it's one of those things where I there's a big digression into Park Chan Wook, but like the first time I saw Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, mm-hmm. I hated it. Until the last shot. (laughs) And the last shot upended so much of what I thought I had understood about the film Uh and its point of view that it made it it literally it recast the entire film and I and I just I left feeling like Oh, that that film was smarter than me. That was a <laughs> that was incredible. That they took me all the way to the end, and then I finally got it. Yeah. What they were doing, uh, and and he what he was is he was just 
completely taking the the knees out from under revenge as a trope revenge yeah. as oh yeah as a thing that that makes sense or that can be you know a, a driving force yeah. for something um well even i mean and i don't to, know to i double down on that in, in old Boy. minute one in that whole movie uh the first time i watched it but, i was delighted I used to be a lot more grumpy about things <laughs> that were were uh, mean or sure. seemingly. Oh, like, I've always liked pretty mean stuff. That movie know, is real uh, mean, but but I do feel like and violence, so. even from the beginning, that movie is. I could see, I could see if it ended in a way that was like just sort of gratuitously everything was violent. Feeling a little sick about it. Um, yeah, I guess I had faith in it the first time I watched it. I also, I it might not have been the first time you watched it, but the first time I watched it was with you. It was you, me, and Lerman, and we drove down. Down to the city while we were an undergrad. Do you remember that? That was when I saw it. Oh, really? I was sitting there fuming. That's so funny. I had no idea you didn't like it. <laughs> oh, but even the whole setup of that movie is like, it's just, it's like dumb, dumb. It's it's, it's like all these setups for this intense revenge are just people making stupid mistakes, you know? Oh, yeah. I feel like it I, sort of starts subverting that concept from minute one. It does. It does. But, but what it didn't do until the very last moment was supply... Uh, a philosophy in its place. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it could be, right, because you can do that idea and have it be lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, right? Or where Fargo. It, where it's just like, shwibbity bip, bop, bop. Uh, yeah. Everything like, worked out. Um, Fargo is a died. subversion of sure. of all sorts of like masculine crime sure. tropes, but it's ultimately just a mean-spirited yeah. film about dumb people. Sure. And I just, I watched it and I'm just like, well, fuck you too. Uh, and that's what I thought I was watching during Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Yeah. I thought I was watching a series of elaborately and beautifully constructed set pieces yeah. about people making terrible choices yeah. that result in horrible pain. And I was like, what is the point of any of this? Sure. I like, I'm very angry at you. And then right at the end, yeah. he he's like contextualized the, the entire <laughs> yeah. film yeah. in a way that sh- genuinely shook me. Yeah. And then again, to like as I said, have him double down on that in Old Boy and actually sure. play that scene out the way that he did. Yeah, um, I just th- those are those are things that have stuck with me yeah. have forever. You, have and, you ever watched it, Lady? Stacy Keach reminded me of that. I have watched Lady Vengeance. Is it smarter than I think it is? Because Lady Vengeance feels like the exact opposite to me. Lady Vengeance feels like he's like, and now here's ninety minutes of people doing a horrible thing to a person who did a horrible thing. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, because those first two films they're were so. so smart and so good so the first time i watched lady vengeance i had a similar reaction to you but i felt like i must have been watching it wrong yeah no i've only watched it once and i don't want to watch it again because i didn't enjoy it and yeah i, I haven't but gone I back feel to like it yet even though i, I must be doing to. it wrong i must have seen it wrong. Let, let's let's put it on the list of okay. the 500 movies we have to watch okay. together the next time we're in the same space sounds great i think i'll admit this i think i also fell asleep at some point because sure. i was watching it late at night that's fair so it's also yeah, just, just it's like so obscene that it gets a little boring yeah it's it's just a, i don't know i don't know we should I, I we'll watch it again ventured too far into his other films yet either because sure. i just haven't been uh i haven't had the taste for extremity that i think it his films sometimes require sure. um though i did love stoker stoker was awesome yeah stoker's legit yeah uh, and anybody else who says otherwise can just poop poop out their butt yeah they can poop straight out their own butthole um, deal with it losers i also i saw the handmaiden at fantastic fest and i thought it was good it's like long it's not people really like that as one. extreme as those other ones it definitely has some moments where you're like ugh, but it's 
It's not that brutal. He has one I really want to watch that I think it's called I'm a Robot and That's Okay. Oh, something along those yeah, lines. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cyborg? It's like the poster's like a woman. I'm a Cyborg the, and That's Okay, yeah. And like a, ro- and a like, TV or something? Yeah. I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing the poster or something and thinking, huh. It just, it looks like it would hit my pleasure centers. Yeah. And also at some point in time I'll watch this vampire movie. Sure. Uh, but you mean Stoker? Well, I was to say, which I assumed Stoker because of the title. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so we just did a <laughs> Park Chan Wook, <laughs> a full hour on the ninth configuration. <laughs> D, D, D to B. Um, we should push forward into yeah. the exercise. Let's get through exercise three and then go to sleep. Um, yeah, I, and then I should go to bed. Um, okay, that, this does that make it two episodes? Bit. That makes it two episodes. Well, that's what I'm wondering is if it is two episodes we don't have to record exercise three for now. Listeners, Man. I don't know what it doesn't feel right to just do hol- general Halloweeny stuff like spook voices because it it's not October and it's, it's not, not Stephen King. Stay hungry. Stay yeah. for the next Gladdy. I don't know. Are, are, are this is, is this first one going to come out before Thanksgiving? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> Let's assume that it does, okay. and then if it doesn't, we'll look like real dopes. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I mean, we will regardless. Um, stay tuned for the next balloon in this. Thanksgiving Day Parade of Madness. It's shaped like Garfield. <laughs> um, I love that Garfield is a comic strip that mattered to everyone when they were nine, but then when you are 13, you realize that there's no jokes in it. Uh, <laughs> but then when you're 25, you realize that there are jokes. They're just sort of cosmic. <laughs> They're just broad cultural jokes about the existence of Garfield. When I was a kid, I read, like, the first couple books. Sure. And have you ever looked at early Garfield Yeah, strips? where he's like a big weird lump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're all, like, oh, there are I, lots of... I, I think, like, a lot of young men went way hard into Garfield. I had, I had yeah. a, like, a poster and bookmarks, and I bought all oh, of yeah. the books. I've, yeah. I think I read everything Garfield from Inception <laughs> up through... 89, 92, who knows? But I just, I really love those early lump ones. Oh, yeah. When he hasn't been figured out how to turn into a stuffed animal yet. Yeah. Because there are actual jokes in those, and they're yeah. all super mean yeah. and sarcastic. Yeah. And the only, like, regular joke is Garfield is just a fucking miserable <laughs> pile, like a cat-shaped pile of vomit <laughs> that hates John. Yeah. And hates life, <laughs> wishes he could die, but he can't reach his own femoral artery, and he just is like slopping around being sassy. Yeah, fucking love those early
cool buddy. Thanks as always for fun times. Of course, um, uh, I don't know if I ever finished saying it, but hey, everybody, come back next time. I don't know. It's not tomorrow. This isn't a daily podcast. Who makes those? It's, it's maybe by weirdos weekly? and creeps. Yeah, uh, but creeps. come back whenever the next one is for. Yeah. William Peter Blatty's other masterpiece. Big old Blatty. He only made two movies, and they're yeah, both masterpieces. They're both amazing. Uh, the Exorcist Three, which is absolutely the best Exorcist movie. The best Exorcist. <laughs> and we'll prove it. Yeah, with uh, math. Yeah, it is two better than The Exorcist. Went from Done. hell to the king to a king who believes in hell. Oh, that's good. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Been looking for that for two hours. <laughs> oh, good night. Good night. Stop. Me. Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Featuring music by The Cocktails, courtesy of Tideship Records. Additional music by Grumbly Jim. Theme music by Soft Healer. Synesthesia is recorded before a live uncanny studio audience in which everyone looks almost exactly like someone you know, but not quite. There's something different, but you can't place it, and now you are questioning the reliability of your own memories and sense perceptions. Just, it's like dumb, dumb. Synesthesia.